0: You're listening to the Autism Weekly podcast. Each week, we share community voices and bring light to stories that increase awareness, acceptance, equity, access, and inclusion. If you haven't already, subscribe to join the Autism Weekly family. I'm your host, Jeff Skibitsky. This week, we're joined by behavior analyst and mother of two, Leanne Page. Leanne is the author of the book Parenting with Science and runs a website titled ParentingWithABA.org, where she shares helpful tips with families looking to improve their parenting techniques and strategies, reduce parent burnout, and build connections with their kids. As a parent coach, author, and designer of educational courses, Leanne excels at assisting parents and sifting through the noise and drama of parenting advice. Leanne, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, I'm glad to be here.
0: Well, we're we're happy to have you. And I think that this is such an important topic right now. There's so many families that don't have access to, to treatment, to care, or don't need intensive care and need that support. And this seems to be a piece that might not always be available, yet seems so common sense. So can you describe the influence of being a BCBA? Because I think that's important here, on how you've worked through the process on parenting strategies and your own parenting experience.
1: Yeah, um, I did not realize how much of a leg up I would have on things having worked as a BCBA for many, many years before becoming a mom. Um, So when my first daughter was itty bitty, still an infant, I joined a Mothers of Preschoolers program. And these mentor moms to me who were further along in the motherhood journey were super helpful. I really appreciated, you know, someone kind of leading the way in parenting and motherhood. But I would hear them talking about their kids having discipline issues. And they would say things like, I've taken everything away from them and they're still doing this or that. Or I've spanked them. Or we use timeout and all these things. And I just, you know, I only had an infant, but I just sat there kind of shocked like, Why are they doing all these things? Like, why is it all about punishment? Why is there no positive happening in these families? And that's kind of when the light bulb moment clicked for me that, oh, having all this training in the science of behavior really is going to help me as my own child grows. And then I also wanted to help these moms and reach out to other parents who just don't know that there is a better way, that there is a science of behavior. We're not just guessing and like taking away all their privileges or punishing kids all the time, that we can use all these positive strategies that ABA gives us.
0: No, absolutely. And and like you said, you you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And if you grew up in a certain kind of way of parenting, mm-hmm. or that's what your experience was, oftentimes that's what we do. And we feel like it should be beneficial. Mm-hmm. Yet taking that step back and and looking at it from the ABA lens is yeah. I mean, it's gotta be something wonderful. And the fact that you're sharing that, I think, is is astounding is the the way that you can empower other families. So what what do you run across? I mean, When you sit down with families, you mentioned a couple of things where defaulting to punishment or feeling like, you know, there's got to be something I can take away or, you know, sometimes even physically uh, discipline a child might be misunderstood, might be a way that people have defaulted. But what is it that parents need to know about EBA that might be a mindset change?
1: Yeah, so everything with that I like to teach through parenting with ABA is to switch your, perp- your perspective. So as a parent of neurotypical or neurodiverse kids, you see a problem behavior come up and your reaction is to squash it, shut it down, make it stop. And what I want you to do is to switch that perspective to what can we build up instead. So through ABA, what we would call it is a replacement behavior. And we would teach this replacement behavior. And it's the same idea for parents. What do you need your child to do instead in that moment to get their needs met? Are they hitting because they need your attention? Are they hitting because sibling has something they want? Then we need to practice sharing or we need to practice communicating or we need to practice certain skills in that moment so that instead of squashing a problem, we're using our tools to build up the good stuff. And if the good stuff is built up enough, if they're doing these new communication behaviors and that sort of thing, then the old stuff doesn't have room anymore. It kind of takes over. And the old stuff falls away instead of us having to squash it and punish it and make it go away.
0: So, uh, what would that what would that look like in real life? I mean, when we're describing this hitting situation, and if all I'm trying to do is restrict hitting, is is the child what would they naturally default to? Would they default to something similar to hitting? I mean, would it would it just kind of follow that that response class or? What would happen if you didn't treat it with replacing it with something productive?
1: If we don't think about switching that perspective, if the hitting is working, they're gonna keep doing it because they're getting what they want. And that's kind of how we describe behavior, right? We could do it in technical terms as BCBAs of how you know the consequence follows the behavior and it increases and reinforces and all that. But what it means is that the behavior is working for the kid. If the hitting gets me what I want, why would I ever stop hitting? Mm -hmm. And so as a parent, we have to look at that and go, oh, how else can they get what they want? I'm not going to change what they want. They clearly want something It's not on me to change what they want, but I can change how they get that need met or get that communicated by teaching them something to replace it. Otherwise, yeah, you might start hitting for other reasons. Well, if it works to get attention or if it works to get the toy I want, why don't I just hit all the time? And there's no need to do anything else.
0: No, and I love that perspective. I think that it's important for us all to realize is that, you know, if if we're just punishing something or just restricting, it might just cause somebody to withdraw from their environment. And that's not the goal of any sort of treatment. You want somebody to be a part of their environment. You want them to be able to engage and be empowered. So when you when you decided that this was going to be your, your path. And you said, you know, my biggest thing is empowerment of families. How do I utilize the science of behavior analysis? Was that was there like a light bulb moment? Was there a time where you said, you know, I walked into this situation and I, I heard or I, I saw what was happening and I realized that there's more than a need at just this, this stop, it needs to be broadened. I need to help far more families.
1: Yeah, when I first started Parenting with ABA, um, it was over 10 years ago, just blogging. I had the website, um, and that turned into my first book, Parenting with Science. And so I was doing things here in Dallas, Texas, where I live, going to speak to different moms groups. And so there's one year I spoke to my own moms group that I was in, and I just shared some basic um, principles, and one of them being the PREMAC principle, which means first, do the behavior, then you get a reward or a reinforcer, right? And so I share an example of my own small children in this uh, mom's group that I'm talking to. First, get buckled, then books. Because putting a toddler in a car seat is hard, no matter what. It's hard getting them in that five-point harness, and that's what we would do in my car: first buckle, then books every time. And then as my oldest got older, she, as a preschooler, would then say it to the baby: first buckle, then books. And that was the example I gave a whole year later, I go back to the same mom's group, speaking to them again, um, in person. And this mom comes up to me afterwards, and she is hot. She is mad at me. She is not okay with what I have to say. And she's like, for a year, I have been saying first buckle, then books, and I still can't get my kid in the car. I was like, Oh, gosh, why is she so mad at me? I don't like confrontation. But thankfully, I had the wherewithal to say, well, does your child like books? And she was like, no, he doesn't like books. And I was like, okay, here we go. I, I'm helping in very small degrees, but obviously not very well. <laughs> I'm clearly not communicating what's reinforcing and what's not. And I think that kind of mistake that I made and the angry mom, um, really opened it up to me to be like, okay, you can do better than this. Like these are basic principles that I can communicate clearly and share with the world, and um, using like social media and using the website and everything
0: no and the the fact that you're able to communicate on that level and be able to kind of realize what the parent needs is probably what's making you successful in this is a lot of behavior analysts they'll talk they'll mm-hmm. talk the talk they'll talk the science they'll talk yes. almost beyond the parent yes. and that's got to be overwhelming i mean have you seen that with families where you know they've been so overwhelmed with the clinical process mm-hmm. that it just takes somebody to say, "Hey, you know, let's just look at these two things, right, and focus on them." I mean, does it does it take the stress off the family?
1: It does. I actually taught a continuing education event called "Words Matter." I'm looking at the research that backs up everything you just said. There's a ton of behavior analytic research that shows that people don't like our jargon. Um, nobody likes it outside of ABA. <laughs> nobody wants your jargon, but it does cause families will come and they'll, um, share with me all their assessment reports. Or I saw when I was supervising, um, people training to become BCBAs, someone brought me a 33 page behavior intervention plan for a parent to follow. And I was like, you go ahead and put that in the paper shredder. That is garbage. Um, we're not even going to read it. What on earth? How are these busy parents supposed to even dig through that? And so it is true that families who have been trying to get into the system, or maybe they've been in ABA therapy, um, they have a history of punishment, really, with our language and with people being too clinical. And they have their own learning history where providers have just used jargon at them and given them 33-page behavior plans. And all they need is someone to say, first, do the behavior, then get a reward, I could I could give you references on the premac principle and why it's used and the research behind it, or you could just trust that I have that, and if you want it, I'll give it to you, <laughs> but I don't need to spout it at you when you have four other children screaming and crying or you're trying to cook dinner at the same time or whatever these moms and dads are trying to do. Really cutting through all of that to just get to the point and make it simple, everyday language.
0: Yeah, and we all want to feel successful. I mean, I, I would hate it if somebody came into my home started talking beyond where my current skill set was because I'm not uh, it, from their perspective I would not be the behavior analyst. Yes. And it's like you're asking me to do all this work that you haven't trained me completely on and took you several years of grad school to get to the point that's- that you're <laughs> proficient at it. So I think that that's a, a, an important concept for all behavior analysts to to assume is how do I bring the family with me into treatment instead of requiring them to be the sole provider of the care? So when you did that, and as you work with families, how crucial is that to the overall, and I'll use the word prognosis, but I mean, maybe it's more the overall success of establishing whatever it is that you're working on with your child, how important is that parent participation and the parent empowerment in that step?
1: I think that if you, as a parent, want your kid to be successful, it's the only way. But it doesn't mean, like you said, you don't have to be sitting down doing the therapy. You just need to be doing the one baby step. That is the goal. I think of it, you know, for adults, a lot of us always have goals of getting healthier or losing weight. If you only do that at breakfast... Like you start out your day and you eat fruit at breakfast and that's it, what's gonna happen? So if your kid only does ABA therapy while they're at ABA therapy, it's gonna be the same kind of idea. Whereas if you take it as a mindset shift, it can affect the whole day.
0: No, and and does so I mean, from that from that premise and from what you've described is that ABA for a lot of us isn't just a treatment methodology. It's more of a a way of life, and no matter who we're engaging with, is that there's a little bit of behavior analytic work in everything that we're doing. And So how normalized is this process? It's gotta go far beyond autism. Right, that's exactly
1: um, the whole purpose of Parenting with ABA, to, to show all parents that this is just general parenting. know who manages behavior every day moms and dads parents this is what we do we're managing behavior all day long and so simple things like um, getting out the door in the mornings is very stressful for all kinds of families it is hard to get everybody dressed fed out the door on time and so why can't we use little principles of ABA like a visual schedule that's where, you know, a task analysis is breaking things down into their component pieces, or you just write down the steps of what needs to happen. If your child can read, just write it on a piece of paper and they can read it. If your child's not a reader, then you can find pictures online. It can take 60 seconds. Just type in toothbrush, clip art, and you pull something up. You can use Canva as a free um website. And so it's these very simple tools that we learn about in all the backgrounds of task analyses and you know visual supports and things. But for families why don't we just use those?
0: Mm-hmm, absolutely. And I mean, oftentimes, even for clinicians, is that they're not always thinking of the, the naturalness of our science, the fact that it's occurring around us all the time. And, and we think of it as a very tailored intervention strategy for autism where we're teaching skills, where it's discrete trials, where it's, I mean, so different formalities, right. but making it so the family can access it no matter where they're at has got to empower the entirety of a treatment plan. With the movement right now where a lot of people and a lot of children are receiving center-based care, the only way I could imagine that it's going to generalize Mm -hmm. is that you're working with the family because they're leaving school, they're leaving clinics, they're leaving all this. So how do you encourage families to make sure that they're getting the right parent training, instead of getting overloaded with jargon, how do they self-advocate for that?
1: I think um, one of our big things as behavior analysts is it's all about the data, right? As a parent, you don't necessarily need to be writing down tally marks, but are things improving? Are you noticing and reflecting and pausing? So if your kid's been in ABA therapy for a month, what's changed at home? In that last month, I encourage families to jot notes down so you can remember, because oh my word, I can't remember what was going on a month ago with my own children um, (laughs) until I like look at a calendar or pull up some photos or something, just kind of jot some general notes down of what's going on. Or if you go to a parent training session and you leave without clear direction, that's how you know. It's just that that data being a reflection on how things are going. Are things improving or they're not? And if they're not... Finding your voice and saying, this isn't helping us at home is very hard to do. Um, I like to give parents and clinicians both kind of canned scripted responses so you don't have to use your own words. So if you're uncomfortable in that situation, which I would be as the parent or the behavior analyst, it feels confrontational, even though it's not, we're a team, we're supposed to be working together, is give yourself some sort of scripted response ahead of time, like meaning write out, what am I going to say? Read it from an index card or read it off your phone if you want to, to that BCBA that you're working with. I'm not really seeing a lot of progress at home. Here's the things we're still struggling with. I know you were helping me with that in parent training, but what we're doing right now is really not working. How can we move forward together? All of that we and together language, whether you're from the parent side or the clinician side, it's about we, it's about together, it's about progress and just being able to say. I'm not really seeing the progress during bath time, which is really stressful at home. And you don't know that because we don't do bath time at a center, you know, Mm -hmm. being able to just have something to read or to say, but you have to stand up for yourself and realize that if nothing's improving, how is this helping you? How's it helping your child? The whole idea of parent training, parent coaching, whatever you call it, wherever you are, is to make things better for you. For your kid, mm-hmm. yes, but also for you as a parent. So if your life is just as stressful or more stressful when it comes to managing your kid's behavior, it's not working. And you need to find a way to tell them
0: that. Yeah, that that we, I think, is so important. I, mm-hmm. It's very easy for us as parents to feel personal failure or to feel like I'm letting something down and it's my fault. and. I think the importance of understanding that it is a team effort and that every voice matters in the decision-making process is critical. And we have to have that trust and the trust in the provider probably is important. So I'm a huge advocate for the service that that you provide. Um, And I think that it's even more important right now because you have so many people that are looking for care, looking for service, sitting on wait lists for service, having to pay out of pocket for service and still not finding providers. Mm -hmm. How big of a need are you seeing in the community that maybe it's beyond just training or supporting families, but we need to actually support the industry and support the provider network to start stepping it up and stepping their game up to be able to provide that care. Are you seeing that that it's in both pots?
1: Absolutely. It is absolutely in both pots. Even though our field as the number of BCBAs is growing, and um, the the need is still greater. The need is still greater. And when we look at those numbers and you see who is on wait lists, it's autism families, right? It's mostly an autism diagnosis. Whereas we know that this can help all kinds of diagnoses or neurotypical kids like or adults. It, it can help everybody. And so the need is huge. I also see a lot of need in rural areas. Um, a lot of families that reach out to me is because the closest BCBA provider is at least an hour drive away. And so getting there on a regular basis is really hard. So figuring out more telehealth type options, or I don't even know what that would look like um, for more people traveling in rural areas, covering more physical space too. Um there's just the need is spreading and you see these companies just based in big cities. Like I'm in Dallas and there's tons and tons of providers here. But if you go an hour in any direction, you're gonna be in small town, Texas and where's the provider? That family's expected to drive into my city. Um, so just figuring out how do we get there or how do we reach them through technology?
0: Yeah, I hate that those barriers exist. And I mean, it, it happens geographically, it happens socioeconomically, and it also happens culturally. Right. And I think that those are things that you mentioned it, but telemedicine, virtual consults, things like that are going to be able to help broaden access to care. Um, so I'm really interested. And uh, admittedly, I have not read through your entire book yet. So um, I might be putting myself out there. It's very short and quick if anybody wants to read (laughs) But I I wanted to know is that, so when I look at core principles and what I'm helping to make sure every parent is empowered with, there's got to be two or three things that must permeate. And you mentioned the pre-mac principle, but are there other things that we'd be seeing in your, in your book, the, the Parenting with Science, that are going to hit home with almost all families?
1: Yeah, there's a few things that I say all the time. So <laughs> those are the things that just come up again and again and again. And it's um, what is a behavior, first of all, in that our parenting language, instead of saying no, stop. No stop all the time is figuring out what that replacement behavior is and saying it instead. So, no running in the house changes to walk. No jumping on the couch changes to sit on the couch or go jump in the backyard. You know, just flipping your language. It's that same thing of flipping your perspective from squashing behaviors to replacing them, focusing on what they can do instead. So, what is a behavior to begin with? You know, we could talk about the dead man's rule and target behaviors and stuff, but for parents, What do you want your kid to do instead? Tell them that. You know what? You may have told them that four million times, but for some reason in that moment, they're not remembering it clearly. They're not motivated to do it. So tell them that. No shouting in the house. Please use an inside voice. And it's a really hard behavior for us as parents to stop. And so I encourage people to just add it on. So when you find yourself saying, stop bothering your sister, then, oh, wait a minute. What did that parenting lady say to do? Oh, add in what they can do instead. If you need someone to play with, come talk to me and I'll help you. So when you hear yourself saying no and stop, add in that second sentence of here's what you can do instead, just flipping that and focusing on what they can do and then finding their currency. What are they motivated by? Are they wanting your attention? Are they wanting your connection? Well, yeah, most of the time they are, even if they're showing it in very strange ways. Um, That's what our kids are after. And so making sure that we are giving them that attention And giving them that connection. And so I talk a lot about quality over quantity. So filling the kid's bucket first, meaning high quality attention, five minutes at a time, not a two hour long special date outing somewhere expensive and extravagant. No, five minutes of if your child likes to play with trains, play with trains with them for five minutes. None of the um, ABA type stuff of what color is this train touch the red one, you know, none of that stuff, just play. If Mm -hmm. they're just putting a train on the floor, then you'd follow their lead and play with them for five minutes. Um, My kids are neurotypical and they're a little bit older. And so I'm very dramatic about that quality time. Hey, this is special mommy playtime. My phone is going in the kitchen. I'm not going to be on that. It's just me and you for five minutes. What do you want to do? And then we play pretend and all kinds of crazy things they come up with, but it's not I don't like playing pretend (laughs) all the time, but they want to. And so I can do that for five minutes. And here's the thing. You start out, especially almost every single parent that I talk to, we're tired. We're Mm -hmm. overworked. We're burnt out. You don't want to play for five minutes. But by the end of that five minutes, not only is your child's bucket filled and they got their attention needs met, that connection is real for the parent, too. And it's reinforcing to you. And you have those warm, fuzzy feelings that are that reinforcement that you'll keep playing again. So yeah,
0: you have my brain going right now, Leanne. It's it's one of those things. So you're describing things and you do such a good job of describing it in very natural ways. But I'm looking at it as clinically. Yes, that makes a ton of sense. But then I even look at us as adults. Mm -hmm. And even as adults, what I say on Monday, I need to be ready to repeat again by Friday because I need to reinforce the message. And I need to find the currency. I need to find the motivation in a workplace or wherever. And it just shows that ABA is is moving throughout our lives. Yeah, all those things
1: I just talked about, I could give you research behind it. (laughs) If you're a parent listening to this podcast, you probably don't want the research on non contingent reinforcement. You don't. Just know that it exists. And so you can stand confident on that firm foundation of, oh, there's like textbooks about this stuff that I'm doing by playing for five minutes with my kid. Um, and drawing to the child's attention that this is good attention mm-hmm. and we don't have to spend hours and hours with them to make a huge impact. It's that quality, really focused time where we're not putting demands. We're just hanging out with them. Yeah. That's what we have to do.
0: And, and uh,
1: weird interests they may have. My own children are just very creative. <laughs>
0: Go along and play it. you're along for the ride. You just got you got one of the train cars, and that you're sitting in the passenger seat and just taking their experience and and hopefully making it better by being a part of it. When um, I mean, there's not too many Leanne Pages out there doing this work and. I I mean, I would imagine is that it's got to be overwhelming trying to say, yes, please, I'll help everybody, but in which people should reach out to you, but there's going to be times where other resources are necessary. Do you recommend any sort of resource, any sort of uh, community options for families that they should be looking into, maybe that are outside the Dallas area and still need that help?
1: Yes. um, Dr. Mary Barbera has online courses. That's online training specific. Um, Amelia Bowler has written about oppositional defiant disorder, and she has a website called creative connected parenting. I highly recommend her for parents dealing with that. Um, it just depends on who you're looking at. There's several Instagram accounts these days who are doing more of what I do. So Mariko Fairley is a BCBA. She, her account is parenting fairly. Um, there's, there's multiple others. Uh, Michelle Shilvok consulting is another one who just shares broadly. So I I share those a lot on my own Parenting with ABA Instagram. So start there, and then you can find all the ones I share. Are
0: are your courses also available somewhere? I mean, you've put a lot of time and effort into what you've created, and that reaches everybody because we can all access it. Where can we go to access your courses?
1: Parentingwithaba.org. There's information about my books there. There's how to get one-on-one parent coaching, but also just online training that you can do on demand. I need to learn more. What do I do? it's a good
0: yeah, and yes. and i don't think that's just and and all parents would benefit but i don't yeah. think it's just for parents i think that whether you're in a school setting or a coach mm-hmm. or a clinician mm-hmm. is understanding that language which you've been practicing for a long time on how how to take this these scientific concepts yeah. and meld it into something that's digestible i think that we all can learn from that Um, So what are your final thoughts uh, for parents? Is we have so many people that are either, they've been working through this on their own, they're frustrated, or they're about to start their journey and they don't even know what to do or where to go. What would you be telling these families to kind of reinvigorate or to get started?
1: Don't do it alone. Even if it's just an online resource like myself, Even if it's not, you know, a one-on-one connection, just follow and um, join a group somewhere. If you are getting ABA services, then you need to be meeting with your BCBA regularly. If they are not offering that, then you ask for it. You're not alone. This is a team effort. So whether that's you have services or if you don't and you're looking for learning on your own, find that. I offer that through Parenting with ABA. There's other ways to find it if you don't have it. Directly through what you're receiving, you're not alone. And that's actually a big tenet of self compassion. And that's something I teach parents too. There's a whole ton of research behind self compassion. And the three main tenets are to recognize that this is hard, and then to recognize that you're not alone, that we are all struggling together. And so realizing that and that kind of sounds like wallowing but that's where we start with self compassion and then the third part is to give yourself that support but recognizing you're not alone and so don't try to do it alone and like be the martyr be the strong mom and dad like yes you are a strong mom and dad when you have a team and when you ask for help
0: now those are those are wonderful words to live by don't do it alone i mean it's simple but we should all kind of take that and internalize those feelings But thank you so much, Leanne. I appreciate you coming on and sharing with us. And I hope people do reach out because what your message is is very important. And we can all find ourselves on an island if we're not asking for these answers or we're not searching it. And there's no reason for us to be alone through the process. So thank you.
1: Yeah, thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to Autism Weekly. We hope you tune back in next week to learn more about autism in the real world. Autism Weekly is now found on all the major listening apps, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, and more. Subscribe to be notified when we post a new podcast. Autism Weekly is produced by ABS Kids. ABS Kids is proud to provide diagnostic assessments and ABA therapy to children with developmental delays like autism spectrum disorder. You can learn more about ABS Kids and the Autism Weekly podcast by visiting Kids. Thanks for tuning in. See you again next week.